Yeah, everything's where it's meant to be because everything before now has brought us to this point. But we can choose which way we're going to go. We have the power because we are part of the whole. Hi, I'm Graham Gardner from the British Society of Dozers and you're listening to Adventures in Dozing, podcast number 20. Well, this is the second podcast in a month, which is unusual for us, but we got such good feedback from the previous podcast with Peter Knight that I thought we'd do another one. And this will feature his talk at our 2009 conference about the Wessex Astrum, which is a very large-scale geometric arrangement of several interlocking alignments in the West Country that uh, Peter's been investigating. It's uh, a geomantic adventure very much in the tradition of Hamish Miller and Paul Broadhurst's The Sun and the Serpent, and similar such uh, dragoneering books, if you will. But before we get into Peter's talk, here's a look at the latest BST news. Well, I'm pleased to announce that you can now find the BSD on Facebook, which is probably the web's largest social networking site. And if you're into that sort of thing, and you're already a Facebook member, you may find this a convenient way to keep up to date with events and to interact with us. Just do a search for British Society of Dowsers on Facebook. Now, uh, September is quite a busy month for events. Uh, Kicking off on the 4th of September, the Water and Site Dowsing Special Interest Group are running a one-day utilities and engineering workshop with Dr Arthur Marrow, and that's at Clevedon near Bristol. And the same weekend, about a two-day event, uh, the Archaeology Special Interest Group are participating in a site investigation of Guestingthorpe Roman Villa that's in Essex on the 4th and 5th of September and it's being led by Colin Peel and uh, we have an Earth Energies Level 5 course happening in Keswick, uh, that's up in uh, Cumbria, led by Dr Patrick McManoway and that's working with power centres and applying geomantic design The following weekend is the highlight of our annual calendar, which is our uh, conference at Sirencester. If you haven't already booked a ticket for this, I think you might now be too late, but it's always worth a phone call to the office to see if there are uh, any cancellations. And for full details of all these events, uh, check out the main BSD website, or now our Facebook page. And of course, you don't have to be a BSD member to attend any of our events, but there is a small surcharge if you're not. Uh, now, a couple of other registered tutor events that are worth mentioning. On the 18th and 19th of September, uh, Vicky Sweetlove is tutoring an EE1 course, that's Dowsing for Earth Energies and the Spirit of Place, and that's happening in Limoges in France. And uh, also that same weekend, uh, your humble narrator, my good self, is tutoring a foundation course in Dowsing at Mugduck Country Park, which is just outside Glasgow. Well, now to our talk by uh, Peter Knight and his discovery of the Wessex Astrum. Now, obviously being an audio podcast, we don't have the pictures to accompany the talk, so you're going to have to buy the book this time to find out the full details of the Astrum. But uh, essentially, it's a a hexagram-shaped collection of alignments in the West Country that seems to be mainly defined by hilltops, as well as the more normal human-built sites, which really makes you think that there must be some underlying geometric influence that governs the positioning of such features on the planet's surface. 
Peter and his co-researcher Tony Perrett argue quite convincingly that the alignments don't seem to be coincidental. Indeed, they deliberately tried to prove themselves wrong in this point and were unable to. And the way that this figure connects places like Glastonbury, Stonehenge and Avebury is quite remarkable. But uh, don't let me convince you. Listen to Peter's talk, and if you want to know more about the Astrum, his book, The Wessex Astrum, is available from the BSD shop. And a very absorbing read it is too. Hi everybody. First of all, thank you uh, for, for inviting me to speak at the BSD conference. Have you all had your wine, your free wine? Because I do make a lot more sense when people have had more wine. And, I, and I've heard you actually want me to talk for half an hour longer than last year's, is that right? <laughs> okay, it's going to be one of those nights. Can you all hear me okay? Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm going to talk tonight, I'm going to try and squeeze into an hour something that I've been studying for the last, uh, well, I suppose you could say all my life that's brought me to this point, something that uh, took about three years in the making, the book, uh, about the Wessex Astrum, um, sacred geometry in a mystical landscape. And um, I, there, might be, there might be times when I'm going to race along because this, you know, I usually do an hour, hour and a half to hour and three quarter talk, but please bear with me, and it's, it's all in the book, and I'll be outside afterwards to answer any questions. So uh, it's probably best that we don't have any questions, unless <laughs> I finish ridiculously early. So this really is what it's all about, and I would argue that this is what the whole convention is about. Yeah, planet Earth, because all the all the processes we're dealing with in our dowsing and uh, our Hartman grids and all the other geopathic stress and all the wonderful healing things you guys are doing in research is all ultimately about this beautiful beautiful planet called planet Earth. And I'm going to come back to this at the end, why I think we all share a little bit of responsibility, actually, as dowsers. And um, we're actually part of Earth's healing. And uh, perhaps that ultimately is the bottom ley line, I could say. But um, I, I do this talk for, for conventional groups, WI groups, probus groups, anybody will have me. Um, so hopefully as a dowsing group, you will probably uh, associate with this um, more than a lot of groups. The real magic lies not in seeking new landscapes, but in seeing with new eyes. And as dowsers, we all know that the earth really... Um, we're, we're learning, perhaps, as dowsers, um, that, that the earth is not really how we were taught it really is. You know, uh, there's a whole magical landscape out there. And this can be taken quite literally... Um, in, in looking at landscapes and looking over the ground that archaeologists... Any archaeologists in the room? Just one. Welcome, sir. I'm very guilty of, of um, going over the ground that perhaps archaeologists are done, but you guys are too, and finding things that, think that isn't the archaeologist's remit. That's probably the kindest way of putting it. Um, because archaeology is a very disciplined science, and it uses this thing between our ear rolls. But, but of course, dowsing is, uh, is much more than that. It's using all your senses, uh, your whole body, using, looking at sites holistically, and, um, and seeing, the thing, seeing the landscapes with new eyes. And I would argue that this is how the landscapes used to be seen thousands of years ago. A lot of people have written a lot, a lot of books uh, more than I have, but I'm always saying that I haven't discovered a single thing. Uh, how can you discover what's already out there? Yeah, I think we are rediscovering things that were known a long time ago. So it's not my wisdom tonight. Everything you see is um, wisdom. That you, let's say the wisdom that the landscape has been holding for us. Ready for this moment, you could say. Things are coming full circle again. 
So this is what, the, what it's, it's all about, the Wessex Astrum. Astrum is li- literally just the Latin for star, so it's the Wessex star, and um, it's really turned my, my life all around in the last two or three years. Um, the first part of the book, it got me interested in, in, I'll go on to what the Wessex Astrum is very shortly, but it's basically a hexagram on the, on the landscape, and okay, many have been proposed before, but this one is um, blowing a lot of people's minds away, really, because of the enormity of the discovery, I think, and uh, wow, it's still, it's still doing my head in, to be honest. And, uh, but we, we, the first part of the book looks at the sacred hexagram. I got really interested in, in uh, you know, if we've got landscape hexagrams, do we get it on everything? And of course you go right down and right down to the microscopic level there are hexagrams, uh, this, the, the classic chalice and the blade, the yin and yang, and, and you see it in flowers, you see it in snowflakes, you see the hexagon in the humble honeycomb, and of course crop circles, bless them. Um, and of course a lot of these in the book we deal with all the crop circles that have manifested uh, quite recently in the shape of hexagrams and a big proportion of these turned out to be on astrum lines which was really interesting so even before the astrum was manifest to humans clearly there was something going on on an energetic level that is, that is making all these appear before and since on astrum lines so I regard these, the genuine ones, as a... Uh, uh, the 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 the, uh, the alignments that make up the astrum, which is about well, I'll... an astrum is the, is a hexagram on the landscape, which I'm going to come to very shortly. Good question. Um, so the astrum, I say, is the, astrum is the Latin for star, as I just said. So we've got this huge star on the landscape of Wessex. Uh, but of course, uh, hexagrams and hexagons have been around for a long time. There's a very uh, contentious Avidus one. Leonardo da Vinci was, of course, interested in the flower of life, which has the whole pattern of the unfolding of the universe. And I said, the second chapter of the book also deals then with the relationship that man has had with the hexagram and the hexagon, which has been very close. Wow, hasn't it been used? Uh, even early on the left there, even early depictions of Stonehenge by Inigo Jones and William Stukeley in the 16 and 1700s have got a hexagram there. And the one on the right, a lot of you will know, uh, Bly Bond, um, John Michel, bless his soul, and, and Nigel Pennick have all described the hexagram of the Lady Chapel um, of Glastonbury Abbey. So clearly our ancestors, in historical times have been using the hexagram, uh, not just for the symbolism, but I would suggest for the, um, the way architecture of course affects the energies going through a church. On the left there, the Knights Templar Temple in Paris has a hexagram on the round. Quite interesting, Temple Church, made famous by the Da Vinci Code of course, the Knights Templars uh, headquarters in London, has those effigies, you know, made famous by the Da Vinci Code. These are actually movable, you can move these all over the place as you know, and these are the permanent pillars, but look how they describe uh, hexagrams in the same proportion as the Wessex Astrum, which is quite interesting. So I came across all interesting things like this. And uh, we also do a chapter looking at how hexagram has been incorporated in the, uh, the architecture and the symbolism of the main religions. Uh, top left is a synagogue in Istanbul. Uh, near Renlachetteau you, you seem to find hexagrams all over the place and pentagrams. Uh, quite interesting, the bottom left, the very first earliest Christian cross uh, is six-armed. So um, you find hexagrams, and we go into this in the book in quite in depth, so it's a nice introduction. I really got fascinated into the history of the hexagram. Uh, and of course, in more recent times, 16th and 17th century there, again we have our chemical, we have Masonic sign there. Of course, you might, we all know about the seal of the USA. It's got those little stars on, but if you look, it's actually a hexagram. 
Yeah. And uh, this is on the, the whole floor of the uh, Mason's Lodge in Bristol, which two of the lines go through, is covered with these. Um, so forget the hexagram as being the Israeli symbol and the Jewish symbol, the Hebrew symbol. actually came quite late in the hexagram's history. We find hexagrams going right back to prehistory. This lovely symbol, although there's various aspects of symbolism, generally and, and the most symbol, symbolism we find most common is the blade and the chalice. So it's the perfect example of yin and yang in balance in the universe and on this planet, because at the end of the day this planet just strives to create balance. We thought we'd found this huge landscape hexagram on the Wessex landscape. Uh, were there any precedents for that? Uh, that would perhaps sort of validate it. Wow, are there precedents? We give several examples uh, in the book. Uh, Nigel Pinder, uh, his book Pie in the Sky, has several hexagrams. There's one on the left formed uh, in Ireland by some sites. Um, the one on the right is by Jonathan Harwood. He presented this at my convention, which I had the first weekend in October, uh, every week, every year in, all, in, um, in Dorset. Uh, we've got it next weekend. And he presented his results there of the hexagrams uh, on the Dorset landscape last year, that's one of his sites. Uh, some people, some of you might have heard of the um, of Robert Kuhn, of course, the mystic from Glastonbury, although I think he now lives somewhere on the other side of the world, isn't he? A very, very um, groundbreaking thinker, um, and he, he proposed the one on the left. I'm going to come back to the one on the left, actually, uh, very shortly. The one on the right, Chris Street, very well-respected researcher, has done a work, his book called Earth Stars. I know there's two copies on the BSD uh, stand, isn't there? It's an excellent book. I want some permission. Um, excellent book, very weighty book, but wow, it's showing how all the, a lot of the churches around London are very precise position, and he's talking about a matter of yards here, to form hexagrams and pentagrams. So there were um, precedents for landscape hexagrams. Uh, John Michel, who's recently uh, passed to the other side, the pioneer really of Earth Mysteries, well respected. This is one of his uh, diagrams in one of his early books, The City of Revelation. And this is the street plan of um, Jerusalem, uh, early Jerusalem. And this is his hexagram. It's in black. I put it over guy it in white so you can see it more clearly laid out by sacred sites and the street plan in Jerusalem. Why this is really important is because it's not symmetrical. Yeah, the two triangles are the same size but they are slightly compressed yeah? so you haven't got the normal Star of David he sees nothing wrong with that and that is really important because the hexagram is, is a few miles further apart the two triangles are equal is, is slightly um, what's the opposite to compressed? elongated yeah, away from a common centre so uh, John michel uh, sees nothing wrong with unsymmetrical uh, pyramids and he's not um, hexagrams and he's not the only one. I'll show you some more later. The discovery of the hexagram unfolded with a walk. Um, some of you might know a hill in Dorset called Melbury Beacon, what we're standing on. And I went up uh, with the co-author of the book, who I would like to play credit for, uh, Tony, uh, Tony Perrot. She came on a lot of the field trips and did a lot of the dowsing that the, uh, that's in the book. Uh, we went up just for a walk in the sunshine, and we noticed this alignment between St. John's in Shaftesbury and this hill at Mere. That's got the, uh, yeah, some of you know that, with the fort on the top and Tumuli. Yeah, the, what, the Mere near Wincanton, not the... Uh, so this lovely alignment, dead straight line. And uh, you tend to notice that, don't you, when you're a bit of a lay hunter or dowser? You know, tend to notice these alignments. How often? 
parked and I've nearly run the car off the road looking at, uh, wow, that lines up. Have you done it? Yes, a few nodding heads. Um, and um, so we just happened, as, as the universe sets up, to be going um, for a meal that night with a good friend of mine and fellow researcher called Gary Bilcliffe who some of you might know, yeah? Uh, great research. His new book on Portland has just come out, The Sacred Geometry of Portland. It is brilliant. And uh, he's, uh, we happened to mention, we just happened to mention, oh, we've been up Melbury Beacon, saw this alignment. He says, oh, I've got a book about Shastri by Robert Kuhn. Uh, been out of print for years. I think it's still out of print. And uh, called The Shastri Prophecy. And he talks about the Byzantine ritual where the, where the, uh, the, nonks, the monks and nuns uh, would, would come from Glastonbury and Shastri and meet in the middle. Probably have a big party, really. But they do this Byzantine ritual. And in there was this. And um, it didn't resonate with me. Uh, I'm not invalidating, but it didn't resonate with me. I felt, you know when you, you're shown something and it doesn't resonate with you, but you feel, hang on, what if? You know, it's, in other words, it's triggering something. Because he had this line here uh, from Avery to Stonehenge, and then he took it down to Hornblotten. And I thought, well, what, you know, I, what, what happens if you draw a line at 90 degrees from Avery to Stonehenge? And it was quite nice, because where does it come to? But to Glastonbury. Yeah? And um, I've taken the hexagon off for the moment. And we did the same thing exactly parallel, exactly parallel. Um, we use Google Earth on a lot of these lines as well to make sure, you know, you draw a line across Google Earth, it'll go around the planet, you know. So we, we use the modern technology as well as all the old OS maps. And, um, and we realised this was a baseline of this triangle, and it was the same at Avery and Broccoli, and it went down to these two sacred phallic-shaped hills at Wooten under, Wooten under Edge, which isn't far from here, if any of you from Wooten, you're in a very special place, and the other one, I know a lot of you from Dorset will know Hambledon Hill, and wow, it was quite, quite astounding, and um, as soon as we did get the lines in exactly the right place, because, of course, places like Avery and uh, Glastonbury are very extended localities, but as soon as the lines were in the right place, everything just clicked. Um, so you could say, in true Al Alfred Watkins stage, uh, uh, mode, this is um, 15 ley lines, you could say, because as well as the hexagram in the middle, you've got the hexagon around the outside, you've got a central axis, and you've got the two lines going across. Over 500 miles of alignments. Uh, which, as Hamish shall confirm, is longer than the St. Michael line going across Britain, and much longer. And we thought, oh my God, how are we going to do this? Because we wanted to go down every mile and check everything. Well, actually, all the old OS maps from the 19th century are all online now. A brilliant site called oldmaps.co.uk. And I went down every single yard of all of these lines on the 1889 sheets. That alone took months, but it shows things like chapels that aren't there now field boundaries, paths that aren't there now, stones that aren't on the modern maps. Conspiracy. How often have you been looked at the modern maps and suddenly a tumuli will disappear off the modern maps and of course you go there and it's still there. What's that all about? You know? And um, So the old maps are great because they show a lot of Britain when it was still a collection of little villages and hamlets. And that was particularly useful when we went past cities like Bath and Bristol, which showed them how they were a hundred years ago. So we set about the task of going up and down all these lines. Uh, this is the map I've got here, which will be on my table all weekend. And um, this is the area, this is Bath here, this is Bristol. 
Uh, there's Swindon. We are just about here, aren't we? We're not far away, actually, where we're sitting tonight. So, um, central axis, there's the two lines. So please have a look at this map over the weekend. And that's the area we're looking at. I was asked to do this talk over in Vermont uh, at an Earth Mysteries convention last year. And uh, I'm sitting at the back, and there was a shaman called Bear Cloud, very well-known Bear Cloud, uh, very well-known shaman. But he also um, looks into sacred geometry as well, which I think is quite unusual for, for a shaman. But he, he looks at all aspects. He looks at everything holistically. And I'm standing at the back of the hall, and he's got this... Forget the pretty picture behind. This is the pyramids above ground, the Great Pyramid at Giza. There's the king's chamber and the bit under the ground. And he's got this coming down. And he goes on about the energy which is going on in the middle. Fantastic talk. But I'm standing at the back and I'm going, hang on. Um... It's the same proportions. These, this isn't equilateral. It's not the your classic Star of David, Seal of Solomon. So I, I dragged him over to the back where I had this map at the end of the evening. And I said, hey, look at this. It's the proportion. And he went, wow, gee. You know, and that was, so that was, again, independent confirmation, like uh, we have with John Michel in Jerusalem, that hexagrams don't always have to be this classic Star of David thing. Um, so again, there's the site. I'm going to deal with all of these very shortly, very quickly, I'm afraid, as time will allow. So we had over 500 uh, miles of alignment. Some of these lines have been plotted previously. John Michel had very famously plotted this one, and the Abra to Stonehenge one had been plotted. And I'll get to some others which have been plotted quite recently by Robin Heath very shortly. It, very early, though, and this was a big surprise, very early, it, it certainly came apparent to me that I wasn't looking at an alignment of man-made sites. What defines the Wessex Astrum, and I haven't even got them all on here, is 60 hill summits. 60 hill summits. And taking that, remember we said the, the hexagram can occur on a microscopic layer, then up and up and up to flowers and honeycombs. What about Mother Earth? creating a landscape hexagram um, and what, what pe- these are all the hills, the, the, some of the highest hills around, Milk Hill, Tan Hill the two joint highest hills in Wiltshire, Beacon Batch one of the highest hills in Somerset Hambledon Hill, Glastonbury Tor and um, Silbury Hill, man made but right on the feminine line, so what I think has happened, of course the hills were there before man weren't they, uh, Alfred Watkins spotted in the early days, he said all these hill forts are lining up you know, in a, in a line. But of course, it's not the hill forts that are lining up. It's the hills. Yeah? And what man has done in the prehistoric and the historical past is simply come along and filled in the gaps between the hills. You can go to several of these places. In the Astrum, all the details of all the localities are grid reference. We've got nothing to hide. But you can stand on a lot of these hills and you can see the one that way. You turn around and there's the one. Alfred Watkins would have looked. Is he in here as a reincarnation? Are you here, Alfred? I bet it's him with a B in it. Um, <laughs> um, so it's the hills, you know. So these had to be worked with, of course. You can't move a hill. So is the Wessex Astrum ultimately a gift from the goddess? I hate putting loads of lists on screens, but it, this is all in the book. It just defines the Wessex Astrum. It clearly takes account of the Glastonbury to Stonehenge alignment, the Stonehenge to Avery alignment, the section of the St. Michael line 
really important. Between Glastonbury and Avery, several prominent hills, loads of Knights Templar places. Of course, the Knights Templar were in Somerset big time when they were kicked out of France 1307. A lot of the fleet had already gone with all the cash. They didn't all go up to Scotland. A lot of the fleet came to Bristol, which is why we have so many Knights Templar sites and other localities. And we find those on the Hexagon. Funny enough, most of the Knights Templar sites, all but one, are on the Hexagon around the outside. Yeah, rather than in the middle. It's almost as if they are defining or protecting, I don't know. And then and, and abbey after abbey we came through, all these sacred abbeys, some of which there isn't anything there anymore. And I didn't even know there was abbeys at some of these places. I think about 20 abbey sites, these lines go right through. If you extend the Aston lines, and this is ongoing, um, you don't even have to go out outside this map. Clearly, if you draw any line across the map, as cynics have said, you're going to come to something eventually, aren't you? Of course you are, coincidence. You don't even have to go outside this map to come to funky stuff. Uh, Binden Abbey, the island of Portland, Wimborne Minster. This one goes out to Winchester, the ancient, of course, Alfred's capital of uh, Wessex. This one goes to Greenwich Park, where there's Tumuli and all sorts of stuff. Of course, the St. Michael line. This one, really important, and Robin Heath was impressed with this at uh, Megalithomania. This one goes from Stonehenge through the centre to the Bluestone side. It's Robin Heath's Bluestone Triangle line. I didn't know that when I drew that line. I wasn't making anything fit anything. And isn't this the best kind of result when you get independent confirmation about something? He's come to it totally from the scientific measuring. He's a very accurate geomancer. And we've got the same line. Yeah. And there's just confirmation of it. That's uh, based on Robin Heath and uh, the measure of Alvin, isn't it, the book? Very good book. Uh, and they cross in the middle. I hadn't made, you know, that's, that's just where they cross, in the middle of the astrum. I mean, I'd have been pretty impressed if they'd have crossed here or here, but right in the middle. Um, so we knew how long our pieces of string were. How wide were they? How wide should we regard, uh, you know, these lines? It's... Um, I should say, how, how wide should we look at sites that call, fall within that corridor? Um, John Michel sees certain alignments as being axes of vision, corridors of vision replaced, which could be over a mile long. Uh, Hamish uh, and, and Paul see, agree that ley lines should be regarded as corridors rather than narrow lines. And of course, you know the famous Michael and Mary current going around the axis. Statistician Robert Forrest found if the St. Michael line is regarded as a corridor 500 metres wide, another 63 churches fall within it. So we've adopted 500 metre wide corridors. In other words, anything within 250 metres of the central axis, we'd go and have a look at. And when you consider that, some of these lines are 52 miles long. I think 50, 250 metres. You know, if the church, because what we did find, which is really interesting, in that some of the places outside the axis originally were on it. Churches are moved, stones are moved, stone crosses are moved. Fascinating. I'm so glad we looked. We didn't go with this blinkered vision like I'm afraid a lot of lay hunters do. People are looking for accuracy. Well, if he doesn't line up within 10 metres, we're going to ignore it. Rubbish, you know? We're looking at... Remember, all these lines are defined by the hills that have to be worked with. But um, David Furlong is speaking tomorrow. Are you here at the moment, David? He's on his way back from Egypt, isn't he? I love David Furlong. His books are, are really good. He's done a very accurate computer survey of the St. Michael line. Very controversial. Some of you might agree with the results. Others, others may not. 
doesn't matter really, does it? Uh, St. Michael's Mount and the Hurlers and Derry St. Edmunds are off the alignment by between 700 and 270 metres. In other words, not all the sites which you think have been on the alignment, when you allow for the slight curvature of the Earth, and it is slight in Britain, but it is there, they're not actually on the alignment. But he found Borrow Bridge Monk, which is there, Glastonbury Tor, Ogbourne St George Church line up to within metres across this 40-odd mile section of, of the length. And um, Hugh Newman said to me, well, you know, perhaps this is the section that was done first. And I haven't been so pretentious to even think about that. Because when you think of it, we all, you know, if you agree that these alignments, I know there's many aspects, spiritual, ethereal, to do with these alignments, but if you do take the Watkins view that, you know, this was, was laid out as an alignment with the Beltane sunrise, why should we assume that they started off in Cornwall and they're going off through Dartmoor and Devon following this alignment? Hugh said to me, you know, what if they actually started the, the, the surveying in the sacred centre of Britain? Avery, Stonehenge, Glastonbury, Wessex. And of course, as they got further away from where they started, the inaccuracies occur. And that almost seems logical, doesn't it, to you? Yeah? So um, that, that was his idea, Hugh. So it made me thought, you know, which chicken or the egg, you know? The only really accurate aligned part of the St. Michael line is the bit within the Wessex Astrum. So I'll just give you the facts. And you can... I'm not drawing any conclusions. Um, I'm just saying uh, what it is. I mean, there's even disagreement as the route of the St. Michael line. When you think that would be set in concrete, wouldn't you? When I was following John Michel's lines up to Avery and Hamish and Paul's lines up to Avery, there's a distinct difference as you go up that A road. The one has the... Yeah, so who's right? Um, perhaps they both are. We're talking about a corridor, not a sight line. Yeah. Um, I think they do move. Yeah. I think they will. They, I shouldn't say they do. I, they could move, yeah. Um, certainly we know the energies do. Don't forget, I'm not talking about any energies that might go up and down these lines. I'm talking about the alignments. There's a big difference between what you guys call an energy lay and a ley line. My God, hasn't that caused confusion? We could be here all night, couldn't we? Any Americans in the audience? You guys started it, didn't you? term energy lay, I think, or lay, lay line as an energy first came over from the state saying, oh my god. Anyway, I'm talking about alignments at the moment, yeah? Um, we, the, so we've got the classic chalice and the blade. Again, I, I'm sorry I can't go with... There's nearly a, a, a half a chapter in the book about every slide I've showed you, but I just haven't got time, folks. I'm sorry. We, we decided to give the lines names. I don't pretend for a second these were the original names. Um, this is the chalice. We, we chose them very carefully. The, the reasons are in the book. Loads of St. Magdalene churches. Uh, Anna from uh, Tan Hill, which used to be St. Anne's Hill, which is Anna's Hill. goes right through, and uh, there's the blade. One reason we decided to give the names as well um, is because when we were going along the lines, uh, instead of saying, right, you know, we're at this, this church, where does the line go next? We'd start saying, where does Anna go next? Well, where does Magdalene go next? I don't know whether you found, Hamish, something similar with the following the Michael and Mary comment. Where does Mary go next? And you felt kind of almost having, you know, a relationship with the current. Am I being really weird there? Yeah, so when you name something like this, you really form a personal connection with them. You know, it's like people name their house, isn't it? Dun Roman is the popular one, isn't it? Um, so... 
So it really made a difference to us. Um, but I don't pretend for a second they were the original. Well, things work on a weird level, don't they? Who's to say something hasn't worked <laughs> through us to name these places? So what happens at the terminal points? Child Oakford, Hambledon Hill. We have this lovely, long, very penis-shaped hill uh, pointing north, straight up the Astrum. And uh, this happens at every site. The lines don't just come in, there's one exception there, but that actually is a rise in the hill there, when you're there. The spot height, the long barrow, this very mysterious mound there, two tumuli, all the lines come in within half a mile. And when you consider the length that they come from, I think that's quite amazing. Uh, when we um, first, first started going to each corner and up and down the lines, we first went to each of the six points um, and looked down the five lines and we tuned into the place, asking that the wisdom would be revealed to us. It's it's not like a lot of um, a lot of researchers do, where you know I'm the 21st century man. Let's go and sort it all out and, and research it and use what's the thing between our, uh, our our ears to find out what it's all about. We 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 asked very humbly after wisdom will be revealed to us. And uh, we had some amazing bits of synchronicity. People would come round the corner, up the hill, wherever we were. When we didn't have an answer, it would come. So this is the long bar on top of Hambledon Hill. I'm looking down one line there. There's the central axis, Duncliffe Deacon, where there was a Roman temple. And in between there and there, there were three churches. And uh, so it's important, and I think this is the bottom line, as I'll say later on. You know, how can you do this? How can you be a dowser and not go out onto the land? So, up at this corner, Avery, one of the wonders of the world. I'm going to speak to it a bit later on. But here's where all the lines come into Avery. Don't forget, these lines are defined by hills here. And uh, they all come into, well, look at that, 500 metres. Yeah. And look what they have. We found this at every terminal point. They pass through all the relevant sites in the area. Windmill Hill. And don't forget, originally, this is the original Astra map, before I, I spend about £200 on getting all the OS maps to cover this blooming area. So, it was done on this scale first, and then when we got the maps and expanded it, then, only then did we realise it goes to these sacred sites, right? I'm not making anything fit anything. And do you know why? I didn't have to. It all fits. This one comes to Windmill Hill. This one goes to the church. This one follows um, the uh, bridle path for three miles. Then it follows the A road for another three mi two miles into there. Clips of Barrow. This one goes to Silbury Hill. It's the feminine line that goes through the tummy of the goddess. And this one just clips the chamber of West Kennet where we go and do drumming on all the full moons. Wow, we have some nights there, I tell you. And um, goes to the spot height. And this one just misses the Avery, but I have no problem with that. This is that field where nearly every year we get brilliant crop circles. You know Lucy Pringle's very famous one that looks like a, a spider's web, and we had one the year before last. And um, But this is all within 500 metres, and it takes in the sacred sites around Avery. Um, Stonehenge is even tighter. Stonehenge is even, this is all the alignments coming into Stonehenge. Look at those aligned tumuli. Same here, it goes right through those two, goes through that group which is aligned with the equinox there, uh, the cursus group it's called. More here, Conniger Barrow Barrow. This is the only long barrow within a mile of Stonehenge, and it's there. This goes through the these two very famous barrow cemeteries. One of the barrows, that one, is the Bush Barrow, where, where they found that gold breastplate in the shape of a lozenge. Of all the barrows, of the 17 barrows in that barrow cemetery, it goes through the one with the, the breastplate on. I mean, coincidence could be, but it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? And like at Avery, one just misses and goes 
by the Chimai. Again, these are hills defining this. Um, and if you look down that one, if we just go back briefly, if we're standing at the Barrow Cemetery and looking down towards Stonehenge, this is the path here. And uh, you can actually see there's actually a line going across the field. There was an old, on the old maps, there's a path and a field boundary going across here into the Henge. And the modern path goes around the side. And uh, the famous astro astronomer John North says that this path is aligned with a northern standstill in Neolithic times. So we have at least one line that's astronomically aligned. And once you get into Stonehenge, I showed that one earlier on, look what happens if you put the proportions of the astrum in Stonehenge. Hugh Newman was very excited about this as well because these are the four station stones. And people have had a lot of problem getting those station stones in the past into sacred geometry because it's a rectangle. And generally, rectangles don't fit into sacred geometry. We want nice squares and circles. So it works, you see. And the whole monument goes inside the inner hexagon. Look what happens if you put it inside there. Again, the axis here, that fits inside very nicely. So that was just something I played with, you know, uh, putting the astrum proportions into Stonehenge. Um, Glastonbury, God bless its cotton socks. This is amazing. We actually drew, you can actually draw, we were devil's advocate on a lot of times, you can actually draw five lines into Glastonbury and miss every sacred site. We did it just as a trial. But it takes in everything. This one comes in through St. John's. It goes right through the, um, the new labyrinth that Sig has had in the, done in the churchyard. Oh, that's pretty funky, actually. Straight through there. This one lines up, of course, and this one goes all the way to Stonehenge. The Abbey, as you might know, although it had its uh, axis changed slightly, it's about four degrees off east-west. It's pointing towards the centre of Stonehenge. And John Michel spotted that a long time ago. Isn't that amazing? You've got this Christian Abbey you know, lined up with Stonehenge. And it goes right through a little the Abbey House there and right through the gate with little dragons on. This line comes in. I don't know about you, but I don't think the, the actual dead centre of the St. Michael line actually goes through the top of the tour. It doesn't, does it? Oh, thank you. It goes through the northern slope. I think what it's focusing on, although this is the long-distance sideline, because when you're looking at it from Borough Month, of course it looks if like it's... It does. But um, what it's actually focusing on is the Chalice Well which is the sacred centre, probably the oldest sacred site in Glastonbury, because clearly the spring has always been flowing. So we're going right back to prehistory. And again, the other line comes in there and passes through it. So this is all going on within about a thousand metres, you know. And I thought that... Um, I've called it that, um, partly out of Alfred Watkins, because uh, he's called his old surveyors, the, the, the surveyors, the uh, dog men. But also this lane here, as it goes up from the, um, from, from the, uh, the, the gate with the dragon on, is called Dog Lane. And um, as far as I'm aware, Alfred Watkins never mentioned that lane in the old straight track or the, the, uh, his companion book. It's quite a new road, although it's an ancient track. So I thought it was really, really amazing that they call this Dodd Lane. I haven't been able to find out yet how why it was named. Anybody know? So I've called this the Dodd Lane for two reasons. So what's at the top? Was the whole theory going to fall to bits around our ear holes if we found nothing really major at the, the points? Um, 
They meet at a, at a place called Hollywell, and, and it's big hill above it, uh, Coombe Hill. They all meet, plus the two hexagrams and the central axis, which I haven't shown here. And they meet on this very... Um, remember how I showed you Hambledon Hill, like this big phallus going up? Coombe Hill is the same thing, a big phallic-shaped hill sticking out from the Cotswolds overlooking Wooten under edge. And um, we found this, this big long mound, which was, which was actually pointing down the astrum. But the really interesting one was this one. And this isn't on any map. It's not down as a tumor line. We went in the Heritage Center. This is Bristol in the distance. It's not even a, a searchlight or a gun emplacement from the Second World War, because I know that they totally surrounded Bristol with that sort of thing in the war. There's nothing on anybody's map. We spent loads of... We, the, the lady in the Heritage Center got all their maps out and everything, and she couldn't find anything on there. And I thought, wow, isn't this strange? There's this huge depression. It almost looks like, you know, when, when the, um, the Victorians... I can't put it any other way, pillaged a lot of tumuli, yeah? They just ripped the guts out of them. It just looks, looks like that. But it was very windy, and the, the wind was really coming at us on the spur. And we sat down like we connected at every point, and uh, the wind just dropped to nothing. And we meditated and connected for about ten minutes. And we both opened our eyes at the same time. And right over our head was a cloud in the shape of a dragon's head. We both burst out laughing instantly. So as you go through the, all the churches, all the churches, every single one, and there's, lo there's loads of them in Wooten, uh, has got hexagrams, hexagons all over the place. Okay, Star of Saint David, Seal of Solomon, that's the excuse to get the symbols in there. But um, even if they didn't know about the astrum, which they probably didn't when the churches were built, something's working in here, isn't it, to get people to do things at certain places, even when they don't know it, I believe. So what about this, this corner here? So we, if we found really funky sites, what about this one? Was it all going to fall to bits? It's a place called Broccoli. I don't mean the vegetable. Broccoli, I think from uh, the old name for a badger, isn't it? All these lines meet there. Broccoli was once, Broccoli Coombe, where there's a big wood. It looks like a miniature Cheddar Gorge. There's a big, you know, the village is at the one end of this big gorge. And um, it's on the Western Supermare to Bristol Road. Once known as Wolf Coombe, which is one of my totems, the wolf. Home of a crone and a hermit. There was folklore of a cave there that a hermit or crone once frequented. And after about an hour's searching in the woods and a bit of dowsing, we found the cave. And around the cave, this is a totally quite new deciduous wood, but around the cave there are six yew trees. Six yew trees around the cave entrance. I think Sig Longman and so anybody else from Glastonbury was on the party that went up to find this cave. Yeah, and. Um, quite amazing. There's no litter in here. There's no signs that the local kids are using it at the moment. It is so difficult to find. I don't, I'm not sure I can find it next time. I've actually put GPS and really accurate positions for finding it. This is really in the middle of nowhere. And here this plunges over the ravine. And this is where the crone and the hermit's folklore are. That's about nine feet high, that. So, and all the lines come through this line. It's just like going into the vulva of the Earth Mother. It's a natural cave. And at the back, there's a clearly that looks like this has been artificially extended. And there's a little alcove you go in, you can curl up in. And this is like the vulva of the Earth Mother, almost like the clitoris or a penis coming out. But it's all stained red. And the power in there. We're going to next year, I do drumming at West Kennet Longbarrow, we're going to go drumming in there next year. So if anybody wants to come.
So um, one of the lines goes through Brockley Church. Uh, so we went there and we met by this big dead tree in the shape of a dragon rising up above the ground. Can you see it? Um, all the six windows on the south side of Brockley Church had this above them. Now I've been all over Europe, as I dare say a lot of you, you guys, whenever I've seen a Star of David or the Seal of Solomon, it is always symmetrical, yeah? Your classic symbol that you'll see associated with Judaism, Hebrewism. I have never seen one single one like that before in those proportions, and there are six of them in Brockwood Church. So I'm, sta- I'm sitting down in the pew with my jaw dropping at this point. Quite unbelievable. So just to sum up, the Wessex Astrum comprises, you could say, of 15 ley lines. But we're doing work now extending these. A friend of mine in Weymouth called Roma Harding, she's putting... Uh, these lines do come together. It was in uh, her inability with Photoshop that couldn't get those together. Um, so, of course, we've got the classic Vesica Pisces, the Volva of the Earth Mother in the middle, where these come together. And, of course, more work is extending it out even further. Remember that flower of life I showed you earlier on? Yeah. And uh, we're going round these lines and finding some amazing places. Watership Down, the summit of Watership Down with all the little... That's on one of them. Yeah. Um, On this line here, there are eight stone sites that are in my first book that I wrote in 1993. Eight of those stone sites are on this line. So uh, I I could easily take up any of the other lines, but I thought the St. Michael line would be a really good one. It goes right across the centre of it, from Glastonbury to Avery. But of course, as Hamish will will confirm, when they went up and down the St. Michael line, they weren't going up the axis, they were following the two serpents. The only time they went on the axis is if the serpents happened to cross them. And these are the points where the serpents cross, son of the serpent, son of the serpent, son of the serpent. But what about all the sites in between? Actually on the axis, hardly anybody's done work on these sites. So we really were treading new ground. And boy, did we, we found new megaliths along these lines. And all sorts of incredible things. Because, you know, um, Hamish and Paul's remit was to follow the serpents, not the axis. So we were going over new ground here. Um, that's one of the sites just south of Stump Cross. I think that's the furthest up the St. Michael line. You can actually see the whole of the tour. It's just north of Shepton Mallet. You can actually see the whole of the... Of course, you can see Glastonbury Tor from further away, but not on the St. Michael line going east. So that was quite interesting. There used to be an old cross there. Uh, where he crosses the Foss Way, we found some stones here, which had been recorded before. Um, so next one, Stoke St. Michael. Again, um, Hamish and Paul went to the church, which is where the Michael current goes to. The axis of the... Uh, it's actually on the Wesleyan Chapel. And we know the Wesleyans and others around that time were great masons. This is where the axis is, not the church. And right next to it is a spring bubbling out, which has just been channeled from across the road. There is a stone, might be modern, it might be not, uh, OS mark there. Clearly it's been used at some stage for getting on and off carriages. But it's right in the middle, right on the axis. So how long has it been there? Has it been utilised? There's an ancient one. Vobster is a wonderful site. If you look at Vobster Mound on the OS, on the OS map, or, or if you look at it on uh, Google Earth, it's perfectly round. Even the archaeologists regard it as an artificial mound. Uh, but it's now a private house, but the guy gave us permission to go in there. The guy's name was Michael. <laughs> Great, isn't it? Um, John the Baptist, of course, one of the favoured of uh, the Knights Templars. St. Margaret, one of the other dragon slayers. Loads of green men. The hexagram. Please go to Vobster Church. People are always asking me, what's in the middle? 
and it's Road, a village called Road. This is a tiny little village, you know, a couple of hundred houses. It's got seven churches in it. And the biggest one is on top of the hill where all the lines meet, and there's this great, massive Gothic structure. You know, but on the old OS maps, there's some stones in the fields, in the fields all around. We looked around the back, none of them are surviving, but here is one. Yeah? And it's not the geology of the local hill, and I think this is the remains of a stone monument that was at the top of the hill, at the centre where all the Astrum lines meet. It's funny, where the Sowen line and where the St Michael line come into road is where the two bridges are over the river. Alfred Watkins would have loved that. But it's all coincidence, Um Then the, then the access of the St. Michael line goes up, uh, up to Oliver's Castle, a brilliant site. At the foot of it, Mother Anthony's Well, where four or five springs bubble up out of, into this lovely little wood. There's another place we're going to do drumming next year. Fantastic. Beautiful. The energy is amazing. And then uh, this is at the top of Oliver's Castle, uh, in the little dew pond, where Paul and Hamish had the Michael and Mary current crossing. Very powerful place. Isn't that just wow and then the actual axis goes through these line of beech trees and then this was a crop circle that occurred last year the axis comes right through here so it's almost even after the astrum has revealed itself one of the first ones to occur after the book was well this was before the book was published but after it was finished being written is a blooming hexagram with another hexagram inside it with a hexagon inside that it's almost saying to me you've got it you got it. Confirmation. So, uh, again, this is our show before. All the lines are coming in to Abury. Uh, just a few other sites. Uh, Alton Priors on the Stonehenge to Abury line. You lift up two of the floorboards, you've got megaliths underneath. The site was built on a stone site. Classic site evolution. Um, Glastonbury, I've already showed you that one. Just to show you a few sites. Again, the, the, uh, the, the um, two of the Astrum lines meet here, as well as the two lines of the Sun and the Serpent. And uh, this line comes to St Edmund's Mound, uh, which Nicholas Mann has shown. I think this place is going to actually collapse on the, uh, the solstice of 2012. This is the place to stand, because the, sun, the winter solstice sun is going to go up there, and of course at that date it's going to, you're going to be looking into the galactic centre. Don't get me started on 2012. Um, the sun will rise on 2013, January the 1st, first, I can assure you. Three lines converging, Glastonbury Abbey... Um, and we're chilling out at the high altar where the Michael and Mary current meets. Tony has doused that there is actually a megalith under there. Because as you know from my experiments at Avery, when you haven't got a stone fixing energy down, the energies can wander. They're organic. We're talking about an organic process here, guys. And some of you guys who like to research all the technical stuff, yeah, that's what I was doing at first. And then I realized, hey, I'm looking at something here that's interacting with me uh, and has consciousness. There's where the lines go up the dog line, through this arch with the dragon on. And there's that path which John Michel said ultimately goes all the way to Stonehenge. And there are bits of it surviving all the way along the journey. We found bits of it surviving. And about halfway along, there's Gare Hill. Again, more images. Mary Magdalene we find more than any other saint, probably, in the windows. And, of course, a favoured 
of the Knights Templar and um, this is a great place, Longbridge Deverell it's 20 miles from, from Glastonbury yet we've got a cutting of the Holy Thorn in there, that's a bit mysterious you go inside, who's this guy? in a Christian window we've got like a wizard with a crystal ball you know, somebody said it might be John Dee, but even so yeah, isn't that weird? yeah, the Volva of the Earth Mother again surrounding the chalice Joseph of Arimathea yeah, and King Arthur at his moment of gnosis. The only thing that I can find that links Glastonbury to Longbridge Deverell is the dog line. Uh, another, another, just very quickly here, this is another site, this is at the beginning of every chapter, so you can go down the lines. Here's a, a stone, clearly quite recently, it's been put in front of the gate. We found a very powerful energy line at Stoke Twister going into the church, and then another one came through the altar, and they both spiralled around each other uh, and interacted, something that had been found before in front of altars. You can see something's indenting the carpet there, can't you? When we lifted it up, spiral serpents, just where the energy is spiralling. I know Paul and Hamish often found a relationship between architecture, dragons, where the energy is doing something credited, I think, uh, is one of the famous ones. But I found it all the time. Um, is it chicken or the egg? Did they put that down because of what the energies are doing? Or is the symbolism attracting the energy to it? Start looking at that, guys, on your research. Yeah, they were, people were, you know, they were leaving us messages in stone, but sometimes those symbols can alter the energy. It's, it's true. Um, the lines go through Bristol, through this quite wonderful cave uh, in Avon Gorge. Avon Gorge is the ancient capital of Bristol. That's why there are four hill forts there. That's why the Romans built their port there. But where Bristol is now isn't the ancient capital. The line goes through the ancient capital of Cheddar Gorge. Just a selection of just a few stones, which I haven't really got time to go into. On top of this stone, somebody built a little shrine at Ubley, and the energy was berserk on top of this shrine. This is one of about 15 new megaliths. This isn't shown on any OS map. It's five feet tall. Conspiracy. It's on the Magdalene line, where the Roman road crosses the hill. We find things like this, just blocks of stone in the middle of nowhere, in the churchyard. Why hasn't that been taken up? A really ugly block of stone. Clearly in the past it must have had some superstition. The road that comes into Yate Church is this one, where the, the Astrum line comes down it. We thought, well, let's go around and have a look. And what's it called? Templar Road. Thank you very much. Um, one, one hill here. This is a little hill on the, on the Magdalene line. Um, we went here and um, the farmer came out when he saw me looking at this hill and he said, oh, ah, they think there's a mound up there, he said. And I'm going, no kidding, Sherlock, you know. <laughs> I mean, the archaeologists haven't even confirmed that there's a mound up there. But, and the line goes right through the top of the hill. If I hadn't have gone there, I wouldn't have spotted that. It's not on the map. These are three witch hazels. Another place I want to take groups drumming. There's not enough hours in the day, is there? Um, just quickly, the three most famous white horses, the Cherhill, the Westby, and the Alton Barnes horse, all trot along the three Astrum lines as they go into Avery. I didn't know that when I was drawing these lines. This is where the lines come in at Child Oak at Hambledon Hill, and we've got a very nice window. I said to my eight-year-old daughter, what's special about this, this woman? What did she say to me? She's pregnant, pregnant, she's pregnant. She's, she's, she's resting the jar, the alabaster jar, on her tummy. Even the church guide says it's Mary Magdalene. 
Yeah, I found several very, very, very pregnant Mary Magdalene's on my research. Um, at the right-hand side of Jesus. We look into Mary Magdalene quite a lot when we come across her. Um, this is a beautiful one. Again, in Hebrew tradition, only the wife can, can grieve at the foot of the cross, and there's six points on her, on her thing. Lots of serpents uh, all over the place. Uh, all the brilliant stained glass windows. St. George, a.k.a. Knights Templar. Beautiful windows, Masonic floor. We put all of it in the, uh, in the astrum. Even here on the astrum line, they've even got the male and female the right way around. This is a Victorian window in Kingswood near um, Bristol. The blade and the chalice have got the right colours. But the whole of the chapter at the end of the book is called The Way Forward. And um, so what are we going to do with this knowledge? Um, Tony has got several examples of her brilliant automatic drawing. You know, people tune into Plato and get automatic writing. She tunes in, shuts her eyes and gets these amazing drawings. She's called this one Albin Deflating because it just looks like a balloon in the shape of Britain, doesn't it? That's going... Doesn't it? And... We've stopped regarding, well, all our decisions are made for us in Brussels, aren't they, virtually? We've given away our political sovereignty. But we've stopped regarding Albion of Blake. We've stopped regarding Britain as this magical island that it always was. And this time round, we're all incarnated on this beautiful, beautiful sacred island of Albion. This picture of a cobweb, just to get across the point that everything is connected. And you know this as dowsers, don't you? Nothing can be isolated on the planet, can it? Everything ultimately is connected to everything else. And this is why, the, 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 this is why everything's one reason everything's in a bloody mess, of course, because you do some damage down any one of these energy lines or ley lines, it screws, it can screw the whole thing up. And myself and a lot of you guys are doing a lot of healing at sites. But it can also be our point of power, because we can send love and healing down these lines. Yeah? Just like we can send love and healing to the White House, uh, to Iran, wherever we want, yeah? So this concept that we're all part of the whole is very thought. So I'm encouraging people um, to take our books and take my... All my books have the aim of getting people out there. If anybody buys the Wessex Astrum and doesn't take it out into the field, I'll give you a refund because I will have failed. I will have failed because the whole point, the bottom line is to get people, I think that's the bottom line of crop circles, dowsing, everything to get people out onto the land again, to interact with the planet. This is the, this is the monument in London, that big phallic obelisk they built to commemorate the, the fire of London what is it with us British? Only the British could, could commemorate this huge obelisk to celebrate and not a disaster what is it with us? But anyway, on the one side of it here's Albion, the sick Albion of William Blake. They're trying to help her to her feet. There's the sword of sovereignty. But coming out of the bottom is a little dragon. Can I help you? We've got to get back into connecting with the earth again. Knowledge for knowledge's sake is no longer an option. I say, what's the point in discovering the processes of, say, the Hartman grids, Bovis units, whatever they are, um, don't get me started on them, ley lines, crop circles, dowsing, aquascats, what is the point of studying and researching all this, especially you guys, yeah, all this with our heads, what's the point of discovering what all this means as the last iceberg melts into the sea? We're running out of time. 
we really are. That all our practices and research ultimately lead towards saving the planet. That's the bottom line. Or else, what's the point? Yeah? Although, long, although short-term healing can be done, I know we use dowsing to cure people's ills and to do house-clearing, geopathic stress, that's great. But I'm talking about the bigger picture. It must all be leading to something, or else we're not going to be around. I've said many times, we can't kill the planet off. We cannot kill the planet. We are fighting whether we're going to be around for our next stage of her evolution, because she is going to evolve this beautiful ball of Earth consciousness. We shouldn't have this human spiritual ego that we have this divine right to think we're going to be around at the next part of our evolution. Fixing planet Earth, perhaps this could be the bottom line of this and similar conventions. The reason I do all this work, I take people to sacred sites to get them to interact with the planet, is to show that there was a time when everybody on this planet, everybody, regarded the planet as sacred as part of their daily life. That's just how it was. And that there was a time, believe it or not, when people only took what they needed. And we've got to get back to that. I don't, I don't say gots or shoulds very often, but we have no choice. It's as simple as that. We've all got to get back to an earth-based spirituality. And you don't need to give up your existing, existing religion. It's what I call, like, you can get with your mobiles. You can bolt this on. You can be a Christian and regard the earth as sacred. You can be a Muslim and regard the earth as sacred. Just bolt it onto your existing beliefs. I'm not conflicting with anybody. We've got to get there, because from the moment you, the moment you regard something as sacred, whether it's your rosary beads, your favourite crystal, um, your Bible, your Koran, from the moment you regard that object as sacred, you cannot possibly destroy it, can you? How can you destroy something that's sacred to you? We have no choice, which actually fills me with optimism. Yeah. Um, so living in balance and harmony, an ancient ideal, but it's one that's needed now. Let's balance the yin and the yang. I would humbly, respectfully suggest that we've had too much yang the last 2,000 years. But also, too much yin would be just as bad. We've got to copy nature and who strives for balance all the time. What the Buddhists call the middle way. The only time you don't see balance in nature is when we have stuck our spanner in the works. Follow nature, the balance of yin and yang. We must hold her as sacred as we once did. And that's what the book's been all about. And thank you very much for listening to me. Well, thanks to Peter for that very fascinating talk. Uh, that's going to do us for this month. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Handley Swan, England. For more details of the Society's work, have a look at our main website at britishdowsers.org. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us by sending an email to podcast at britishdowsers.org and you can now find us on Facebook. But for now, I'm Graham Gardner. Join us next time for more Adventures in Dowsing.